Hello and welcome to the St Mungo's podcast. This is episode 43 and this is part three of our HIV and sexual health series. So we've done HIV. Next, we're going to go through a number of cases of a sexual health nature. And Becky Metcalf, our consultant in HIV and sexual health, is going to guide us on how best to approach those cases. Let's just jump right in. Okay, fine. So we're, I think we're done with HIV, but, but we're going to go on our journey. We're going to go around and see a few other sexual health related incidents, um, if that's okay. And just to kind of, sure. just in, in, a, in an ED context, kind of keeping to the, 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 the facts, the, the, you know, keeping it focused, let's say, how you would manage these cases. So the first one is a rape um, slash sexual assault. So it's Saturday night or the next morning. And, and uh, let's say a young girl approaches and she claims that she's, an incident has occurred overnight. How, how do you, would you approach that in the ED kind of context? So um, this is not an uncommon presentation. And, and again, it varies to, to where you are in the country. So I think it's really important for all people who work in, in ED to know where their, their closest, closest sexual assault centre is or sexual assault referral centre. We're lucky in Glasgow. Ours is literally down the road. Um, and, uh, and in the ED, I would approach it by very carefully taking a very careful history at this point it does not need to be in detail what you're trying to ascertain is what if anything that person can remember and documenting as much as as you can and and depending on what happened the night before he or she's memory may come back in stages and then the next step is really what are they acutely injured so i think in the ed you're very uh, you've got lots of ex- expertise in that. What you want to try and do is make sure that they are uh, comfortable and any acute injuries are um, dealt with, but without doing too much that might um, affect any forensic evidence. And that's the next thing we need to ask is what that person, the complainer, wants to do about that. Um, so do they want to go to the police directly, immediately? Uh, do they want to go to a sexual assault referral centre or speak to someone before going to the police um, or do they not want to go to the police at all um, and that can again will change depending on memories or what happens or how much advice or information they're given. In ED I would say that you again injury is really important when it comes to genital injuries um, obviously depending on how significant if they're really quite bad it may be a gynecologist or urologist needs to be involved um, but a lot of the time sexual assault referral centres will be able to manage these um, and that would be my first port of call is to encourage that person to to access a sexual assault referral centre that can be with or without police and the police can be involved at a later stage and it does not necessarily mean that they are taking things further they will get the whole holistic range of support at that centre it also doesn't mean and I think this is important to tell the complainer if they go there they have to have a full intimate exam they can go and decide at different stages how far they're willing to take it and there's lots of you know some people are quite happy to have a full intimate exam someone who wants it a certain way there's obviously other ways that we can record injuries um uh, using photographs or, or video and, and documentation and all of that can be used either immediately in a police investigation or as well can be stored and doesn't need to go to the police until a later stage until that person has had time to think and process things. I presume we don't really need to do any 
tests really of any significance. If there's no injuries, let's say it's purely um, a kind of sexual assault, there's no bloods or tests that we need to do. A- any treatments, do we need to think about emergency contraception or PEP or, or, or can we leave that to the sexual assault referral centre? or? What so I suppose, advise? again, that depends on um, how close your sexual assault referral centre is. We're very lucky. You, you sh- In Glasgow here, you should be able to, to get a service very quickly and all that would be handled there. If you were somewhere more remotely, then absolutely PEP, as we've just discussed, should be considered. Um, emergency contraception should be considered. Um, most people in this case uh, um, want to take oral emergency contraception, although the, the copper coil is our is, a, is the best method and some of them some people will accept that at the time when being examined. But I would say in the ED, um, it, it's, it absolutely should should be considered as really important. Is there a, a time frame for forensic examination? Like how, how quickly should they be seen? And they need to be seen within a week. As soon as possible, though, is better. Uh, and obviously, uh, the, the the more samples. Um, samples will have a higher yield if the person has not washed away. Uh, we're looking for DNA or or uh, seminal fluid or sperm and things in, in a lot of cases. Uh, so the sooner the better, really. But up to seven days afterwards. Um, after seven days, most SARCs won't won't accept. Although they may do for for other things for support. Okay, I think. Kind of any case I've dealt with like this, the police are always present in in the department, um, and that would be probably the more traditional way. Get the police involved, even within the department. They'll come. They'll probably even bring the lady to the the sexual yeah. assault. If they didn't, for some reason, want the police involved, I think they can still do that themselves. Can you can you point them in the right direction, or how would you? Yeah. Approach it? Oh, I would absolutely. So I'd find out where your your local sexual assault referral centre, and most cases will take self referrals. Um, you know, even out of ours as well. Um. They may need to wait to the morning to be seen, but then at least you'll get advice. And the advice would probably be, please don't wash, collect any clothes that you're wearing at the time or afterwards, especially underwear, and bring them along with you. Bring someone for support as well. And then you, you, they'd probably get an appointment time to come. Um, and they can they can absolutely self-refer. And again, I would just emphasize that by self-referring, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be for everything. They can come just for advice and support and a bit more information about about accessing police, about when they can access uh, police. We also have something called third-party reporting. So that's where the, the SARC or the, the Sexual Assault Referral Centre would give information to the police about the incident. But the, the, the complainer themselves would be completely anonymous and the com- police can use that to compile maybe against some other things and then we, they can come back to the to the SARC later on and say, you know, actually, we think we have a bit of information on this person and then the complainer can make a decision at that point whether they want to to speak to the police. Um, so I, I've never actually been to one of these clinics, um, but let's say the patient asks me, doctor, what, what happens there? What Like, can you describe it? What, what, what would be the basics to know? How, how do the, these appointments tend to kind of play out? So um, we would try and see them as soon as possible. And they're usually... Um, Depending where you're in the country, in, in Glasgow, uh, which is the, the only current sexual assault referral centre in Scotland, um, uh, is uh, doctor and nurse-led. So there'll be two clinicians there. And they usually take you straight up to a comfortable room where you sit and um, have a bit of a chat. Um, try and get the person to tell us as much information. And we've got lots of time that we can take over, over that. And that is really important because it helps us direct what kind of tests we need to do 
And then all the way through that, they can have a break or they can withdraw at any time. And then it will be carefully explained to them what the next steps are when it comes to essentially a forensic examination, uh, which will include a full examination, including genitals and taking of appropriate samples. And that will be fully explained to them. Um, it, other things that will the, the, the other needs are it's really important other needs are met as well so emergency contraception vaccination against hepatitis B for example um, post exposure prophylaxis to HIV if need be other things such as a smear test if they haven't had them that in a while all of that will be will be um, considered and managed there um, the whole thing can take a couple of hours so they should be aware of that and that's where we do like them to have someone along for support. That person doesn't need to be in that room while any of that's happening. There's a separate room off uh, where they can sit. Uh, and we may take clothes, or the police may take clothes. Um, if they don't want police involvement, uh, we, we can keep the clothes around the time of the incident as well. Um, and we could keep all of those samples. Again, they don't necessarily have to go to the police immediately. Uh, and then they will be offered uh, follow-up a couple of weeks later for repeat testing for STIs like chlamydia and gonorrhea, and then HIV and other bloodborne virus testing as well and also counselling support okay fine we'll, we'll we'll move on to the next patient if that's okay so we've got a, a, a kind of younger gentleman uh, kind of late 20s and he's come in with a urethritis bit of a discharge and stinging in the penis um, how would you kind of approach these types of patients so this is very common to the sexual health service and I suppose um, if this person comes into ED my probably first recommendation if possible is to 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 get them to the sexual health service because I think that's the best place where all of the needs can be met. Um, a, a brief sexual history is often really important. When was the last time they had they had sex? When? How long the symptoms have been going on for? Um, quite often, people will will give you information themselves. Yes, I noticed this happened two days after I had sex with such and such. Again, who they're having sex with, what type of sex? Uh, all of these give us an idea of, of what might be causing their symptoms. Um, if someone is in quite a lot of pain, that, that again gives us an idea of, of uh, symptoms as well. And depending on what's causing it and what you see in examination, they might not be able to pass urine. So that needs to be considered as well. Um, in the sexual health service, we would try and cover everything so harm reduction and, and their risk so if, if they were an MSM we might think about other um, uh, bloodborne viruses or hepatitis B vaccination or uh, other vaccinations um, if it's and, and also the the type of sex and who they're having sex with makes other, certain STIs more likely or not I think in the ED if this person presents and they can't get to sexual health service or don't want to what um, what we need is we you need them to make sure they're able to pee um, Really good to examine someone. So what you're looking for in examination is you're looking at the at the skin. So if they're if because dysuria and pain and peeing maybe because they've actually got ulcers around the around the tip of the penis, you need to pull back the foreskin and have a look. Um, it may be because they the, the the tip of the penis or the glands is 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 has got an infection there like a balanitis, or it may be that the skin all around looks okay, but the the tip of the penis has got a discharge coming from it. So and that can be caused by chlamydia, mycoplasma genitalium, gonorrhea, and the discharge can look different in in certain situations. Um. A urine sample is pretty key here. So if you dip a urine in that situation, you're always going to get loads of leukocytes. Um, but what we need it is to send off in a, in a in Glasgow. It's a little orange top tube. 
um, that it goes on and that's for chlamydia and gonorrhea testing in the first instance. If there are any ulcers or anything that then a swab for herpes is is the way to go. Um, not all EDs carry them. A lot of the paediatric EDs do because it's just a little virology um, PCR sample so you can grab one from next door if you happen to be next door to a paediatric ED. Um, but that would be the best test. In all honesty, I think getting them along to a sexual health service without giving treatment if possible is the best way because then you're less likely to give inappropriate antibiotics because anti antimicrobial resistance is a big issue, uh, especially in gonorrhea and um, and also in, in mycoplasma, which is an STI. So ideally, the best um, place for this person to be seen is, is a sexual health service. If that's not an option, or you live far away or a remoter community, is it okay to give some treatment, kind of best estimate uh, yeah. type approach? Or? So I suppose when we think of urethritis in the sexual health service, we would usually have a little look under the microscope of, of any discharge, and if there's lots of white cells there, but we didn't see any uh, anything that looked like gonococcus under the microscope, we would treat them as a, a non-specific urethritis and give doxycycline. Um, and that should cover uh, chlamydia anyway, which is the most common cause of urethritis. What I would say is if, if the discharge is more purulent or it is an MSM where we know gonorrhea levels are higher, um, then the chance if, if there's a risk of gonorrhea or they say I'm a contact gonorrhea, which some people do know, someone's told them they've got gonorrhea, then um, we need to give keftriaxone. So an intramuscular dose of keftriaxone would be the first line treatment. But it's really important to get a sample sent off in that because we, we're testing them all now because antimicrobial resistance is quite high. So that would need a swab, but just a charcoal swab of the um, uh, of the, the discharge is, is is totally fine. The person can do it themselves uh, and send that to microbiology, but just asking for, well, they'll grow gonococcus on the, on the swab. But if you're working in a city, it would be fair to say, you know, you're probably better not treating and getting them to a sexual health clinic. Yeah. And that could wait over the weekend. I mean, if you saw someone on a Friday night, I mean, they could wait till Monday, could they? I mean, you treat the symptoms, obviously, but, yeah. but it wouldn't be the end of the world to wait a couple of days uh, for that. And that may be better in the long run. Would that be fair? I think it would definitely be better in the long run. Um, obviously, if someone's in a lot of Pain um, might not be good for them, but the ones that cause pain are mostly the ulcerative conditions, so herpes, uh, which you can treat. But if it's a little bit of, of discharge, not too much discomfort, I would. It'd be better if they were seen in the sexual health service. Okay, we'll come to herpes in a wee minute. What What about say? Um, how would you best differentiate? Um, a kind of sexual health disease from a simple UTI. Now, presuming that the, the external genitalia looks normal, um, let's say there's no discharge, if it was just a simple kind of painful when I pee and I'm going a bit more frequently, would that be more suggestive of UTI or could that still be a sexual... Or what, what would you advise in that? It's still best to go and be seen at a sexual health clinic? Yeah, I think it, it, UTIs are quite rare, rare, unusual in otherwise healthy say men as or young men are uh, and okay and women are a bit more likely but I think testing for STIs is really important because you could treat that UTI several times and you're never going to get rid of the chlamydia that's actually causing it unless you test for it. Okay sorry you mentioned herpes there instead of bringing you to a brand new case do you want to just tell us a few things about herpes? Yeah so I think herpes is really important because it does present to, to ED um, and it may present male or female with, with pain in the genital area some People may have looked and 
be able to tell you that they've got uh, little blisters or ulcers and some people may not and may just sit sore women especially who may not be able to to see in that area so on that I would say anyone presenting with pain and genital area, you need to have a look at them um in that area uh and and see and if the skin's normal that's very reassuring but normally in in herpes you may see um uh, small little blisters or they may have developed into ulcers um it's a it, it just herpes simplex virus it's incredibly common um and if it and it can come on at different times in someone's lifetime so just because someone's presenting for the first time doesn't necessarily mean that's the first time they've been exposed to it however if they're unwell enough with it and in pain enough to present to the ed it probably is um sexual history is important have they had a new partner recently remembering as well that it can be transferred um through oral sex so even if they've just received oral sex uh, from a new partner and also remembering that that partner may not have had, had any symptoms themselves because the herpes virus can become active without actually showing symptoms in someone who's had it for a long time and this is one of the difficult things to, to talk to people about herpes about and why I think they should always be seen in a sexual health service within that first episode of care because it's really important to educate them um, on herpes, the herpes virus that, that first um, presentation it's a lifelong virus. We don't have a cure for it, but we do have really, really good treatments that can that can treat the acute episodes, but also keep it at bay long term. So I think if someone pitches up and it 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 looks like herpes on examination, if possible, please send a swab because it's really useful to have to have that confirmed and also to to know whether it's herpes type one or type two, which here in Glasgow we routinely do. It might change throughout the country. Um. That swab, again, is just sort of a dry swab over the area. If it's quite painful, the person can take it themselves. You're trying to get fluid from, from the blisters, from the ulcers, and then dip it into the... It's a little small um, uh, virology sample tube with the fluid at the bottom for PCR, and you just want to mix that uh, that swab into the tube and then send that to virology, and you're just asking for herpes PCR. In Glasgow um, and in some other places, they also will do syphilis. It's a dual test on that, and that's important important because although syphilis does affect other populations uh, and typically um, the, the syphilis ulcers are, are painless and not as numerous as herpes ulcers we have we have seen presentations where they, they overlap and we've treated one that's actually the other so that's why the dual test is really important. I would recommend treating if someone presents to ED because it can really affect, uh, help their symptoms so high dose of cyclovir and uh, early follow-up in the uh, sexual health clinic would be recommended as I said if you can send a swab that would be fantastic if not it can be done in the clinic but as soon as the lesions start to heal over that's um, the, the swabs can be less reliable being able to pass urine really really important because in really severe um, episodes of herpes sometimes people can't and if you if I would encourage someone to pass urine during while they're, they're there and they're staying if they can't pass urine then they may need to be admitted General symptomatic management of the skin is really important as well. So making sure people aren't putting anything really on the skin, which you would be surprised at what people try and put on open wounds and skin. So um, and and also if they if they have a bath at home, just a shallow bath with a handful of salt and bathing the water in that, uh, bathing the wounds in that water can really help. 
if peeing is difficult, then peeing in the shallow bath or using some uh, sort of lukewarm water in a jug to pour over the area while they're peeing will, will obviously decrease the acidity of the urine. And, and all of these things are, they sound simple, but actually they will really um, help that person's acute episode while the acyclovir is kicking in. Other STIs need to be checked for, and that's what we would do in the sexual health clinic. So I would say that um, any new episode of herpes, please get followed up in the sexual health clinic. Pretty pronto. Okay, very last question, I think. Um, we, do, we actually don't see it very often. I can't remember the last time I had uh, someone asking for emergency contraception. Maybe people are better informed and they go to pharmacies or GPs or whatever. But just in case it, they did show up in ED, so it's uh, post-intercourse, um, and someone's asking about about some form of contraception. What, what's the kind of basics way, the basic way that you kind of uh, approach that patient? Yeah, and I think you're right. I think we emergency contraception is now available much wider than it was before. And if someone was to look online, which people do now, hopefully they'd be directed to their to their nearest pharmacy. Uh, what I would initially try and find out is I can't. So it's about assessing the risk. So what was the risk of that person falling pregnant from that episode of sex? Um, was a condom used? Was it a break in a condom? At what stage did the the um, partner, male partner, ejaculate or not? Um, what ta- what stage they are in their cycle as well? And have they got any contraception on board? Some people will pick up, pitch up, but actually they they've not been taking a pill very well, and that can sometimes make things quite complicated. Um, if the person has a regular cycle, then being very early or very late in that cycle, so a period just finished or a period about to come, makes it much less likely, um, but still possible that they that they can fall pregnant. The the the, the most likely time is right in the middle um, of if they have a regular cycle. If a person's cycle is irregular, it's even harder. Um, again, earlier as possible when it comes to oral contraception. The best emergency contraception we have is the copper coil. And we can put that in up to five days after sex or up to day 19 in a regular cycle. So again, if someone would like this as a method, it's also a good ongoing form of contraception, then get them along to the to the sexual health service. doesn't necessarily need to be that day, but within five days and most sexual health services will be able to, to accommodate that. Um, oral emergency contraception, there's, there's two main types. So um, uh, levogenestrel or, or ulipristal. Um, most... People are eligible for levogenestrel. It's got to be, again, taken pretty quickly, but within 72 hours of, of sex. Um, sometimes we need to be aware of other medications that they're on, drug interactions, but that can all be checked. Um, so you mentioned the, the IUD is more effective and obviously gives long-lasting, longer-term contraception. Um, is that something that we could discuss in ED as an option to counsel them on that and and if that was an option give them nothing and go to a clinic within five days or best to still give the the oral contraception if that's our only option and then go and discuss that later yeah i would always offer them both so uh, there's no harm in that so oral contraception because there's always the risk that they change their mind or they don't turn up for the, the copper coil. Um, most services, and I know in Glasgow, our services have got loads of information online. So it'd be very easy for you in ED to access uh, information on the on the on emergency contraception. Um, all, all of it, but also the copper IUD and give that to the patient, get the patient to look it up on their phone. A lot of people will do that themselves and make that decision if they want that and then they can self-refer easily to a sexual health service or you could do it for them. But in the interim, I would give the emergency contraception, get that on board and then they can go on and have the copper coil as well. 
Anything you would advise them? So you've given them the treatment. Anything you would advise them on, on discharge? So um, making sure they're not pregnant as a consequence. Nothing is ever 100%. So um, my advice would be to make sure that either if their period doesn't come when planned or three weeks after the episode of sex to, to, to check a pregnancy test. Uh, and the fact that that person has presented particularly to ED, quite worried that they might fall pregnant, suggests they may need ongoing contraception. Um, so that would be really, really important. Uh, GP or sexual health service follow-up for that. Well, look, we've come to the end of our shift. Um, so so that was brilliant. Thank you very much for taking us through all that. Um, I think we'll finish off with just one final question. I always ask everyone this question. I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts on it. Um, but I, I talk about my time machine, and if I could take you back to meet yourself, leaving medical school, um, all fresh-faced and ready to go, what what would you advise yourself? What have you gained in your experience um, that you would pass to them starting their career? I think it's difficult because when I left medical school, I probably didn't think too much about the next 30, 40 years, <laughs> to be honest, um, as most 20-somethings don't. I, I think the advice that I would give is to not rush in and remember you're going to be doing this job actually, if you're coming out of medical school now, probably for about 45 years and that there are a range of options out there for you. Um, look around you, look around the seniors, see what you think you want to be doing as, as, you, get, as you get older and um, you know Medicine is a huge specialty and there's no harm with combining it with something else, I suppose. So education being one of them, having a role in education or uh, overlapping specialties or a special interest in something, something that really makes you want to go to work in the, mor in the morning because uh, um, it can be a hard slog otherwise. Um, Rebecca Metcalf. Thank you very, very much. It's been brilliant. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. So many, many thanks again to Rebecca Metcalf. I think my main take-home points from today are, number one, regarding rape and sexual assault. It's important that you know where your local sexual health referral centre is and you need to refer your patients there because they will do the vast majority of what is required. You can ask about and document the incident. You may in rare cases have to manage significant injuries which might require gynecology or urology support. Otherwise everything is done at the referral centre unless it's actually more in the emergency department because you do not want to contaminate any forensic evidence. The patient ideally goes to the referral centre as soon as possible but can be up to one week. And if they're not close by, then you can consider in the emergency department giving emergency contraception, PEP or Hep B vaccination as indicated. Number two, in terms of male urethritis, the main recommendation is to refer to a sexual health clinic without any treatment to avoid getting the treatment wrong and contributing to antimicrobial resistance. And this is a big issue in gonorrhea and a little less so in mycoplasma. The same thing applies for young males with UTI symptoms because this is still commonly or more likely to be due to a sexual health condition. And it's very helpful to take swabs or send a urine samples for chlamydia gonorrhea if able. Number three in terms of herpes, these are typically painful blisters or ulcers on the genitalia and they should be referred to a sexual health clinic. Ideally take a viral PCR swab of the ulcer fluid and treat with high dose acyclovir. 
Becky recommends no creams or ointments, but symptomatic relief is best done by sitting in a shallow bath with warm water and salt. And this can actually help people to urinate who have difficulty doing so because of the painful ulcers. And finally, regards emergency contraception, there are two main options, the oral or the copper coil. Oral can be given up to three days post intercourse. Copper coil is probably the best. It can be given up to five days after the, the incident and also provides ongoing contraception. If you are going to refer for this, give the oral contraception also. So many, many thanks again to Rebecca Metcalf. Many thanks to you for listening. Please visit stmungos-ed.com for the show notes plus all the additional resources for your enjoyment. Until next time, take care.